Hi, welcome to Head Start, the podcast for race directors and the business of putting on races. When it comes to waste in the endurance events industry, water bottles are the big plastic elephant in the room. So it's no surprise that a great deal of effort has recently been going into finding ways to tackle the problem of plastic bottle waste in races. Today, I'll be talking to Liz Honsinger, CFO and COO of Notpla, a UK-based company pioneering the use of edible packaging. Notpla's flagship edible sachet Oho has been used in the London Marathon and many other races across the world with great success as a totally safe, naturally biodegradable substitute for plastic bottles. So it's a great treat to have Liz tell us more about it today. Before we go into all that though, a quick shout out to our podcast sponsor, Give Sign Up, Run Sign Up, the leading all-in-one technology solution for endurance and fundraising events. More than 21,000 in-person, virtual and hybrid events use Give Sign Up, Run Sign Up's free and integrated solution to save time, grow their events and raise more. And we'll be talking a bit later in the episode to Give Sign Up, Run Sign Up's Johanna Good about better managing one of the most precious resources your event has, your volunteers. Okay, let's get into this amazing episode. Lise, welcome to the podcast. Hello, Panos. Nice to be here. Thanks a lot for coming on. I have to say today is um, very exciting for me because I've been uh, meaning to talk to you guys for a very, very long time. I was mind blown by watching your um, product demo for the London Marathon, which we'll get into the edible sachets that you guys produce. Great. And I think it's going to be a terribly, terribly interesting discussion for everyone who's been meaning to know a little bit more about the company and the product and hasn't had a chance yet. Fantastic. You are CFO and COO for Notpla. Yes, that's right. You're going to help me out with the pronunciation here, particularly for the product. We'll get into in a sec. So um, why don't you tell us a little bit about the company and what you guys do and how you personally got involved into all that and how it's all going? Sure. Great. So we are Notpla, which is obviously for not plastic. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're not PLA. We're something new and different. And we are a sustainable packaging company who is trying to replace single-use plastic and other non-sustainable packaging with our materials, which are made from seaweed and plants. And the key thing about everything that we do is we make packaging materials that are totally natural and will biodegrade naturally. And if if you bear with me for a moment, what that means is that we specifically are making materials that will compost in a home compost or even break down in your garden. Whereas there's a lot of uh, alternatives out there right now that uh, claim to be biodegradable. Some of them are, some of them are not so much, um, but a lot of them require processing. And everything that we do is what we believe the consumer to really understand as biodegradable, meaning you don't have to process it. You could literally leave it in the environment and it will break down. And in fact, uh, our sachet material that we use for the sporting events breaks down within four to six weeks. Right. That's exactly what I, I would have understood um, by the term biodegradable, actually. So I'm not I'm not surprised there's a lot of confusion out there. So basically you're saying that biodegradable really in most cases means that there's some conditions required for the material to break down, whereas your material, which you said is seaweed and water and probably some magic or whatever, you just <laughs> put into the put into the bin or you know you throw out or 
into yeah. into nature even if you can't help it and it yeah. will just break down by itself exactly so there are these alternatives which talk about being biodegradable and that's a bit of a technical term it's one of those technical get outs uh where it, it is it officially means that something will break down um within a certain time frame under conditions such as heat uh, pressure or with a catalyst, meaning it has to go to a specialist mm. industrial composting facility in order to break down, um, which is much like going to recycling in order to, to recycle. Whereas uh, our materials being completely natural are more like food. So you could, it's really like packaging a product in food. You can take it and put it in your food waste and it just, it just breaks down with microbes and, and water and oxygen. Mm -hmm. And I know by just um, looking also at your website that there is a few products you guys are trying out. You know, you do like uh, lined food containers and all kinds of stuff. But um, is it fair to say that it all started with uh, Uhu, the, the little magical chassis we, we've, uh, we've seen in London Marathon and elsewhere? Yes, it all started with the Oho. Oho, right. Or whatever you like to call it. <laughs> right, um, Oho, yeah. Yeah, that was our first product, and it's really where the whole journey began. So, working to create a sort of flexible packaging for liquids, and it started with it as a as a drinks container. So, that really is the original not for product. Right. What kind of liquids can it hold? The Oho sachet can actually contain most types of liquids. So, we obviously do just plain water, and we do sports drinks, um, like we've done Lucozade and various other isotonic drinks before. Um, but we also use the, a very similar, we, we have a slightly different blend, as you say, a bit of magic, but a slightly different blend to our ingredient mix. But we do it for sauces as well. So you might have seen the trials we did with Hellman's um, year before last. And we're now working with a few different sauce brands to package mm -hmm. sauces instead of uh, a plastic sachet. Mm -hmm. So for people who haven't seen the videos, can you sort of like walk us through a little bit how a sachet like that would be consumed, let's say in a race. So it's a little, why don't you tell us about it, like a little pouch and then how do you use it? So yeah, it's a bit of a different experience as you can imagine. And actually um, part of the idea came from looking at how people drink water in different countries. Mm -hmm. So whilst we here in, in the UK and the West are used to uh, drinking from a plastic bottle, say a hard bottle, um, in lots of countries in Africa and Asia, they actually drink out of a plastic bag. So they're already used to this in the way that we're not. But basically, you have a bag of liquid, you hold it in your hands, and you have to nip the corner with your teeth and then suck the liquid out from inside. And it's really important because we found in the first test, well, we didn't explain this to people, people approached the, the bubble or the sachet of liquid and they tried to eat it like an apple and then were surprised when it went everywhere. But of course, yeah. it's got no structure because it's a flexible packaging. So you have to just, and it's, it's quite soft. It's softer than you, than you might think. It's definitely softer than plastic, which is actually one of the benefits when using it for something like a store sachet because people find those store sachets horribly hard to get into, whereas ours is much easier. So when you were drinking it in a race, you would take it from the person handing it out or off the table where it's situated and you just take the corner, nip it between your teeth, and suck it, and then you throw it to the side of the road. Right. And that is how you would use it. Now, that's for the water ones, which we standardly make around 70 mil size. Um, we also do small ones, uh, which are around 25 to 30 mils. And those you can actually eat whole, because in fact, the material is so natural, it's edible. 
So when we were doing the LucasAid ones in London Marathon, they liked the idea of being able to pop this in your mouth hole. So they're about 30 mils in size, in which case you pop the whole thing in your mouth. Ideally, you put it towards your cheek just to be easier and you bite it, bite down on it. And it's going to have a slight pop, <laughs> right? which is quite a nice experience. And then you drink the liquid and you actually eat the membrane. Or, of course, you can spit it out. Right. Does it have any taste? Like, does it taste like anything, the membrane? No, it, it pretty much tastes like nothing. It's one of the reactions that people often give. Because I think you tell people that it can, it's made from seaweed and they think, oh, it's going to taste weird. But it really doesn't. In fact, we've worked quite hard to remove the taste from it. So it pretty much tastes of nothing. It has a texture that's, I guess, a bit like seaweed. And it's kind of firm and mm -hmm. slightly uh, jelly-like like that. Um, but yeah, it doesn't taste of anything. And sadly, doesn't have any nutritional value. It doesn't. It doesn't. Okay. No, we get asked if it, it, it contains anything. And it's all about the product inside. So... Um, it has a tiny bit of fiber, but I think you'd have to eat quite a lot of them to, to make a difference on your diet. Right. And people may be intrigued. And actually, I think if they, um, if they looked it up on YouTube, uh, there's quite a few people who are trying to uh, make their own, right? I mean, this material is something that you can, you can do, like a version of it, you can cook up in a kitchen. Yeah, it's interesting. So um, that's kind of like where we started from. Um, so the, the basic core concept is actually a gastronomy technique, uh, molecular gastronomy. So you take the basic ingredients of so some seaweed extract and, uh, and a calcium salt and, and you mix them together in, in a certain way and you can make a bubble. Um, and it, it, Look it up. It's really fun. I'd encourage you to do it with your kids. It's great. It's a great thing to do. Um, that's where we started seven years ago. <laughs> Uh, six, seven years ago and, and trying that out. And of course, um, it's lovely that you can do that, but it, it, we've come quite a long way from that. So in terms of uh, both the process and the material. So that's just the basic material. We now add a number of different things like plant gums and different plant extracts to give it better properties, which include strength, um, a better permeability, so less water, uh, goes through the material. Uh, and the key thing is the, the processing, as I said. So if you try and do that yourself, you'll discover you can make maybe two units or three units in, in an hour. <laughs> um, and we've developed our own machinery in order to make hundreds of that. those or thousands of those an hour. Yes, okay. exactly. And actually, I think it's it's worthwhile pointing out that the the founders of the company and the people behind this, people actually, if they search about the company, they'll probably see some videos of they are themselves like actual material scientists and, you know, they came out of university and everything. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that, like how the whole company started out, the university connections, the research, all of that. Sure. So, yeah. So Pierre and Rodrigo, our co-founders, uh, met at Imperial College London, where they were doing a joint master's actually in a thing called Innovation Design Engineering, which is a very cool course connected with the Royal Academy as well. Uh, and it contains both design elements and science elements. So it's really bringing that together, that mindset, which I think is the, the perfect breeding ground for entrepreneurs. Um, so Pierre actually came from an engineering background. Uh, again, it was his idea was around this machinery to make this possible. Uh, and Rodrigo is, is a, a product designer by background. So he was actually a professor of product design at Kingston. And um, he has a number of fun patents for strange little products he's invented himself. Mm. Um, and the pair of them were, were really looking at, they were really interested in, in water 
and they were really interested in carbon actually. So it was kind of before the whole plastics movement um, with Blue Planet. They were really interested in looking at how they could reduce the carbon impact of the packaging of drinking water. Uh, you might not realize, but if you look at a plastic bottle of water, like around 500 mils, that plastic took half a cup of oil to make and eight liters of water which is a massive environmental impact for a plastic bottle. Um, so they were looking at other things. And as you do, you often look to nature. And nature is a fantastic way of inspiring uh, inspiring the entrepreneur. Uh, and, and nature, everything is contained in membranes. If you look around you, you know, uh, our cells in our body are, are water contained by membranes. Uh, the segments of an orange are liquid contained by membranes. So they were looking at this idea of membranes. And then they were also at the same time looking through old patents and there was some crazy old patent from Unilever in the 1940s where they made fake caviar using a similar process with seaweed and calcium salt to make small little bubbles filled with salty black water to, to make fake caviar. Um, and the combination of those two things came together with this idea of, okay, can we use the same technology, this old technology, to make a, a packaging for water and the big challenge being can we make it big enough because mm -hmm. you know these were tiny little bubbles of you know kind of a millimeter maximum um and so they started working with the um uh, the team at imperial so with a number of the chemistry team uh, there to see if you can make this bigger working in the lab getting their own extracts from the sea and they had a few technology innovation prizes to fund that that work. And that was really the beginning of the project. Uh, I met the guys in um, late 2016. And at that point, it was a case of, right, we have a basic idea. We have something that we'd like to build in terms of the machine of how to get this out. And we have an idea of how you might use this, but we need to make this into a, a real company. So um, I said, I said, I joined them around then and we went for a crowdfunding round and we did some equity crowdfunding on a platform called Crowdcube. And that's how we really got started kind of on the trajectory we're now on. So we raised a million dollars mm -hmm. in a few days, which was really exciting and uh, gave us confidence that people believed in the product. Uh, and from there, the, I guess the rest is history. We've uh, grown as a team. We now have in-house, we have around 30 people at the moment, of which we have around five, five chemists, uh, four engineers, five product designers. We have... All sorts of people, a few, a few salespeople, but lots of technical people. And we have a lab downstairs where we do a lot of our own work. Perfect. A couple of years ago, you were trying to commercialize it, get rid of bottles and everything. And a, um, a nice little race got interested called the London Marathon. So what happened then? Well, the London Marathon, as as you say, not not a little race, and uh, not the first actually either. We have some one had some wonderful early stage partners who showed willing and confidence, lots of local races in the UK got involved. Um, but the London Marathon, yes, we worked up to that in 2019. So uh, initially, I, I'm sure you know London Marathon also organised a number of other races. So before that, we did the Vitality Half Mar Marathon, which they also organise. Uh, and before that, we did some test events. Uh, and that was all working in partnership with Lucas A to do, as I said, these small 30 mil bubbles. So um, at the 2019 marathon, we supplied 40,000 units uh, to replace all the bottles at one Lucas Aid station. And it was the first large scale um, testing of the product. Um, and it was really fantastic. And what was very exciting is that uh, 
we got great feedback from people. Uh, you always expect with a new product there to be a few naysayers, but there, there really weren't. People seem to be very positive. Yeah, I think people are willing to give these kinds of things a try, both organizers and runners, because the, um, the issue of, of plastic and pollution and waste is, is one you know people can't avoid anymore. And it's in the front of people's minds. And I know that although it might be inconvenient in some cases, people are thinking about all kinds of things about going cupless, about having other substitutes for plastic bottles, having biodegradable cups, that kind of thing. So yes, I mean, I, I'm definitely, I'm, I'm pretty sure people would have given you the benefit of doubt and would like to see you succeed. I think everyone would like to see you guys succeed. In terms of the aid station that you guys um, supplied the uh, Lucozade sachets for, how did that work out of curiosity? Like, how do I can see how you can stack bottles of Lucozade and, you know, how people might just, you know, like run through and pick one up. How did it work with your sachets? Is it, is it, was it a bit of a challenge for volunteers to be able to hand them out or train them or how did that go? Okay. Panos, you get me excited here. We're talking about logistics and operations. It's oh, very yes. exciting. No. So I think uh, just in terms of the practicalities, the Oho sachets are supplied in in containers uh, that are each, I don't know, like 35 centimeters by 20 centimeters big. Um, and they are hard containers. Um, and those themselves can therefore be usually transported to the event headquarters. So they'll be transported before the race. So we very much see the way you distribute and treat our sachets is similar to water bottles. So they get delivered to the central location, you with your in your setup with your van that's going to take out all the tables and the flags and things will take those out to each water station. Uh, in the case of London Marathon, because there was a large volume, we had the kind of pallets mm-hmm. of stacked up of these boxes uh, behind the station, behind the tables. And then volunteers, what they do is they just take a box from that, put it on the table, open it up at, at the station and hand it out directly to the to the um runners um you're totally right there's a big education piece here so um we make sure that we send full instructions and usually even get involved in a pre-race briefing uh with all the volunteers to make sure they understand what the product is how that they're going to hand it out and and even we make sure they all try once they know what they're doing and there are different ways to hand it out um either direct uh hand to hand so your volunteers have to obviously use hand sanitizer beforehand and then put on gloves, blue gloves, and then can hand out directly to the volunteers. Um, Alternatively, uh, we use a system where we put down plastic onto the table itself, which you can lay out the product on and runners can grab them themselves, which allows you obviously to then wipe it down between units if you need to. Um, So two different routes. And the main thing is about explaining to runners um, We always supply full pre-race briefing information. So there'll be information that goes out in the pre-race emails and then to be said on the day as well. We also have like a how to use it video. So everyone knows the thing I explained to you about the nip and the sip. And yeah, it works quite well. We find that probably the first time a runner tries a big one, they might not get it perfectly right. But usually by the second or third time they try one, they do. It's a learning process, of course. I, I guess that's it. Did you get any feedback from runners that 
might have helped you rethink some of the ways that you're distributing or delivering it or um, even like the material it's made out of? Was there anything that came out of the London Marathon that was helpful to you from an R&D point of view? I guess not so much from an R&D point of view, but obviously it's a very big learning to experience doing a huge race rather than the smaller races we've done to date uh, and to see how that's set up and obviously working with a large team of, I think it was 30 volunteers rather than a smaller group. Um, you just need more kind of training. Um, I think the most interesting thing about the London Marathon was really to do with the cleanup and being able to see that in action because uh, the great thing about the OHA product is obviously that it's biodegradable, but also that it has a very small volume compared to bottles. So as we say, we also want to chuck the, the, the sachets to the side of the road. Um, when the race is finished, it already looks like there's very little there uh, because it's such a small unit. And actually, we had the first time that the street sweeper van went past, we had to wave him down and tell him to come back because I think he looked out his window and thought, that station's already been cleaned. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so we had to get him to come back, obviously. Um, but what was great is just seeing that all you need is one street sweeper to go down and they pick up uh, the material just like it leaves on the road. And it, and it goes away, which is in massive contrast to the station that was, I think, about a mile away that was a water station with just bottles, where bottles just everywhere, obviously, in the road. Uh, having They have to send, I think, three different trucks along to collect all the bottles and then end up even then with some people on foot going to pick up the last bottles so they're on to left behind. So I think for us, the learning was really just nice to see how post-race, how much mm. easier it was to to clean up the, the OHO product. Could you even wash it off, perhaps? Or do you have to actually pick up the sachets? It depends on your race setup. But on tarmac, the easiest is a street sweeper, just using those standard street sweepers that go along. You can otherwise, if you're a smaller race, what we've seen them done do before is they, they have like a one bin bag and they just use a, a dustpan and brush type thing, a kind of a broom and a, a pickup and put it in there and as you, as you're probably implying like the the great thing is if there is anything left behind it doesn't matter right. um we've, we've never had any complaints from a community afterwards um because those things they disappear so quickly you barely see them if they're in nature if it's in a field you know it's going to disappear it's fine and on tarmac it will pretty quickly just squish into the tarmac and not be seen hmm. What has been the feedback from the organizers? Were were they happy with how things turned out? I think so. I mean, they've they've signed us up to do it again. So oh, that's great. <laughs> yes. So obviously, last year was all cancelled uh, with the uh, COVID pandemic. But uh, this year, we will be doing two Lucas Aid stations rather than one. So we ninety thousand units this year. Two out of uh, how many? Two out of I'm not actually sure how many Lucas Aid stations they do. Um, but obviously, it's the Lucas Aid rather than the water. So they haven't they haven't been that brave yet. Okay. Is delivering water other than quantities a particular challenge? I wouldn't think so. No, it's the same as delivering water. I mean, like for like, really, you're just it's water is heavy. <laughs> uh, right. but it's it's the same as delivering it in bottles. Yeah, it's about the quantity, I think. And uh I think London Marathon have shown a great uh enthusiasm for this product. Um, but they traditionally not a leader in testing things out, I think. So I think it will be hopefully a year or two later that they start trying the waters out as well. Mm. Was it a case of you approaching London Marathon or the other way around? How did the relationship get going? It's a really good question and I can't remember because we've been speaking to them for so long. <laughs> right. 
Um, I think actually in the end it was Lucas that was instrumental um, because they, as their product comes in a plastic bottle, were really keen to find a way to do something without plastic. Uh, you know, London Marathon can, of course, choose to put water in cups if they wanted to, although most runners will agree that that's horrible and no one wants to have water in cups. <laughs> I think on the topic of feedback, she were asking about before from runners, most of the feedback we received is from um, like through Instagram and social media. But what we found is that actually the runners that did use big waters, this is not London Marathon, but in other races, found it actually easier to drink from once they got the knack of it than certainly than a cup or anything like that. Because because it's a closed container, once you've worked out how to nip and suck it, you're not going to lose any water. You're not going to spill it. So you can actually drink it while running still. Right. Speaking of other races, I'm sure you're being approached by all kinds of events. Can you tell us a little bit about the kinds of races you work with outside of London Marathon? Sure. Well, I think mostly we're open to work with anybody. Um, so we like to be nice and fair. It has to have a reasonable size. So I think we ask a minimum order quantity to be around 5,000 units. That means that it could be a race with one who wants to do one water station who has 5,000 participants, or it could be a race that only has 1,000 participants, but they want to do, it's a marathon race and they want to do all eight water stations or something. So um, I guess I should mention our flagship racers who are the really the great believers that I mentioned before was uh, two fantastic racers. One of them was the Chippenham Half Marathon mm-hmm. in England. Um, it's a lovely race through the countryside around Chippenham. And they were the first race, I think, four years ago to try out um, having Oho water sachets at every single station and all the hydration provided that way. And I think their community of runners actually now know us quite well because we've done it every year since as well. And they always give us great feedback. And that's where I said there was this uh, fantastic runner who was quite fast. And he said, I'm never able to take water ever on a race because I'm going too quickly. But this is the first time I managed to drink water on a race. So that was great news for them. And then we also did the Harrow Half Marathon in London, uh, where we similarly did all water at every station. And again, that was, uh, I think, two years ago uh, when the event was last held. And again, great feedback. So that's just some examples of some local races we did. But uh, we are talking to a number of the larger events around the UK, as, as you can imagine. And actually, we're also starting to work abroad. We're doing our first event in Australia in around two weeks' time. Excellent. On the 1st of May, that's the Kangaroo Islands Marathon on Kangaroo Island. Uh, I believe it's completely sold out um, and they will be trialing OHOs for the first time. Uh, and we actually now have a partner in Australia, um, a guy who, called Nate who runs the 1908 Sports Management Company. And he is now helping us distribute into Australia. So he's also talking to a number of the big marathons out there. Um, I won't mention the names because it's all early conversations, but you can imagine the big city marathons in Australia Um, there's two of them currently interested and uh, hopefully we'll be doing a test later this year. Whether it's water bottles or edible sachets like Oho that you're handing out at your aid stations, the one thing you're always going to need is a volunteer force that runs like clockwork. So how do you coordinate dozens of people across a myriad of tasks without spending hours updating spreadsheets? Well, would you believe it? Give Sign Up Run Sign Up offers a complete volunteer management solution as part of the service. So let's hear a little bit more about that from Give Sign Up Run Sign Up's own Johanna Good. Johanna, thanks a lot for coming on. Hey, Pianos. It's good to talk to you again. So, a 
apparently the Give Sign Up Run Sign Up platform comes with a fully-fledged volunteer management module, which uh, I'm ashamed to say I only discovered very recently. Um, tell us a little bit about what race directors can do with that. Yeah, so every race comes with a volunteer management module that's built right into the event. Uh, you can just look for it on your race dashboard and then it's free and easy to use. It's pretty intuitive. Um, you set it up so that there are volunteer tasks and then you can organize those tasks into categories to group them together or you can offer different time slots for each task. For example, I have a smallish race that I organized, so I set up a full category for all the water stops, and then each individual water stop is a separate task, and there's two time slots for each water stop. And then my favorite part is that I can assign a task coordinator for each water stop, and that task coordinator has access to the communications tool to email everyone at their water stop directly from the platform, so I don't have to keep up with the minute details of every different water stop. That's very cool. What about volunteer signups? Can I use this as a tool to get my volunteers to sign up for tasks I've set up for my race? Oh yeah, absolutely. Registration is just like a simplified, you know, free registration that you do for any event. Um, you can require a waiver, you can ask additional questions. Um, the platform is going to automatically track the status of each task and time slot then. So it'll talk, stop taking registrations when a specific task or time slot is filled. There are some detailed reports. Obviously you can access you know, email addresses and questions. Uh, answers from your volunteers. My favorite report is going to be a quick summary that shows the status of each task and the time slots in a color-coded quick glance. So there's slots that are green and those are totally filled. You don't need any more volunteers. There's yellow slots that have reached a minimum number of volunteers, but could use a few extras if you can get them. And the red slots are the ones that you know you really need to focus on recruiting for because they haven't yet reached the minimum number of volunteers that you've entered for it. Awesome. So there's really everything I need there. I can get my volunteers to sign up, and I can allocate tasks to them, and then I can monitor how they're doing uh, delivering on those tasks. And you said this is all free through the Give Sign Up Run Sign Up platform? Yep, the volunteer platform is available on any race dashboard. Super, well, there you go. Another great tool to help you manage your race absolutely free from Give Sign Up Run Sign Up. Awesome. Many, many thanks to you, Johanna, for uh, sharing this information with us. Now, let's get back to our discussion of OHO, the edible liquid sachets for races with Liz Honsinger. Okay, so um, it seems you guys are working with a bunch of races from around the world. What countries is uh, the OHO product actually available in? So, uh, at the moment, we are a UK-based production uh, facility. And uh, the long-term vision is that we'd like to have production facilities all around the world. Uh, because for us, it'd be really important to produce close to site. Uh, we don't really, in a long-term world, want to be shipping water uh, yeah. around. Um, that said, whilst we're at this stage and we're growing, we are doing exactly that. Um, our product itself has a short shelf life, but we've found a way to pasteurize it that enables us to ship using the kind of the slow boats, the low carbon impact um, mm -hmm. around the world. So Australia is this new market we're looking at, but in, typically we do the UK and Europe at the moment. European events can contact us. We also have a partner that is working in the Benelux region mm -hmm. that we can put you in touch with who are starting to supply into the European races. And what about US? Because we have a very strong following in the US. I think once people uh, realize what we're talking about and take a look at the videos, they'd be very excited about potentially getting a hold of some of that for their race. Is OHO going to be available there soon? 
So that's a really interesting question. Um, we'd love to do the US. And if there are any potential manufacturers listening or um, sales agents who'd be interested in getting in touch, please do. Uh, because we have this idea that, as I said, we want to one day have manufacturing all, all around the world. And that doesn't have to be us doing it ourselves. We're looking for people who'd like to franchise and who'd be able to set up sites where they could make that water. And even in the short term, people who will just be able to sell and be our local agent would be fantastic. Um, that said, if there are any big American races, we're always happy to talk to people. Because um, I think as of like later this year or next year, uh, we'd quite like to do some trial events in the US. So they have to have a, a reasonable scale. It doesn't work to ship units out there at this stage for something small. Um, but yes, very interested in talking to American parties because for us as a company, it's never been about being in one country. It's about being global. It's about having the impact everywhere. Mm -hmm. And in terms of numbers, if I'm organizing an event and I want to go exclusively OHO for the water, say, how should I be thinking of the quantities I'll need to order in terms of, you know, if I have, let's say, like a, like a 10K with a thousand people um, and I and I usually, you know, like give out an amount of water bottles. How should I think of that substitution ratio between water bottles and ohos? It depends on the length of the race, I suppose. And it depends on what, if you have any local restriction and requirements on volume of water needing to be supplied by by participant. Um, obviously, our units are 70 mils. So you can do the maths. But in general, what we found is that people give out water bottles, but people don't drink more than a couple of sips. Yeah. And we got to 70 mils because that's about three or four gulps, which is what people want to take. So for shorter races, we would say for a 10K, it's probably one to one. Whatever you have as water bottles uh, or cups, you just replace with the same number of, uh, of, of our product of OHO. For longer races, half marathons or a marathon, we would probably say more like 1.5 to 2 in terms of the ratio, um, because especially if it's a warm day, we find that, you know, the first the first water station or second water station at a, a race, person will still take one. But by the time they get to their second half of the race, they'll probably grab two ohos and, and, and then they can drink one straight away, can hold one for a bit and then drink it a little bit further down the road. So, yeah, so for a half marathon, maybe it would be 1.5 um, per person. And for a, for a marathon, we can discuss it. It depends, I guess, on on various factors, but 1.5 to 2. Yeah, that's a good point about quantity because, indeed, um, and I know you race as well, when, you, when you're on a race, you know, you grab a bottle, particularly for some of the longer races like a marathon where, you know, like every 5K there'll be a water stop. You don't actually yes. take any more than two or three sips. And really, you know, like most people just throw it away and there's like a little puddle around every yeah. every water station. So that's, I suppose you're saving yeah. back on water as well as bottles and everything. Yeah, it's true. And I mean, I'm sure you've seen it. That, well, there's a couple of things, but obviously you should be well hydrated before you do a race. So this is just to top you up and stop you feeling parched. And uh, I'm sure you've seen it if you've done big running events nowadays when they're giving out bottles of Volvic or something. Um, they have all these signs up that try and teach you to pour out the water of your bottle because they can't actually recycle it when it's got water in it. Oh, right. So it's, right. A, it's a really big problem. And uh, if you've been to like the expo, I was at Paris Marathon a few years ago, and there's a big education piece where they're trying to explain pour the water out the bottle because they know people don't drink it so so yes i think we actually have a benefit over that yeah and i bet people don't do that i mean yeah it's it's they good don't. to tell people yeah, yeah pour, pour the water out but yeah no one no one's going to be doing that 
the other strange benefit that we have we discovered that we had over um, bottles is that we don't provide or we don't create a trip hazard. So people sometimes ask, you know, with your material, when it throws on the floor, will it become slippery? The answer is no. You're totally right that it does have that potential, right? It's a film. Um, But through the testing that we've seen, we've never seen anyone slip on it, mostly because uh, of two things. Obviously, we ask you to throw it to the side of the road, and most people are pretty compliant. Mm-hmm. Um, and secondly, because it, it disintegrates quite quickly underfoot. So you have to be very unlucky to stand exactly on one that someone has just thrown down. By contrast to bottles, which being dropped on the road, you know, I think three people every year break their ankle at the London Marathon. Yeah, definitely. So many, so many practical benefits to it. Cost-wise, let's talk about both the larger water sachets and the, and the energy drink ones. What's the price for those? So actually, at the moment, we charge the same price for both mm-hmm. um, because from our perspective, sadly, most of the cost is in the making and not in the materials. Um, it's We charge 25 pence per unit, um, which is obviously more expensive than uh, your equivalent bottle. It'd probably be up double the price of what you might pay. But we think that the environmental benefit is far outstripping that. And I think there are, as I said, there are benefits to the... Uh, clean up that hopefully you should save some money on at the end. So yes, 25 pence per unit and plus shipping, Mm -hmm. which is the kind of, I guess the thing is that's why we'd like to get to a stage where we have production in different countries, because whilst we always do shipping as a pass on cost, i.e. we're not making a profit on it. um, It might be expensive to America. I haven't looked into it yet. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, I think it's a, it's a great product. I mean, first of all, I don't think that, you know, even if it's a little bit more expensive than a water bottle, that I think in in the context of what it is and how it looks, that it's really significant. Plus, I think it's a great product for uh, sponsors to get involved in because, you know, like, of course, why wouldn't you want your name behind something like that, that people are going to, you know, immediately associate with, you know, you helping out the environment, right? You're so right. Uh, we actually find a lot of the races we work with get a sponsor specifically for the water, and we're very happy to work with that. It's a great way to get it paid for. Right. So what's the what's your future plans? How are you, how we're going to be taking OHO to the rest of the world and to every single race on the planet? Well, as I said, looking for franchisees. Uh, I think it's all about this next year to really see how, how it takes off. So it'll be nice to see the races restarting post-pandemic again. And I think we just have, we're just kind of waiting to see how that picks up and how quickly um, people return to normal. Um, I think it would be fantastic for us to have a few of these major marathons around the world. Um, so watch this space on those and, and, and as we start to take that off. And, and, and then also uh, we're hoping to really, in 2022, hit the UK market and hope that we have a, a really significant presence here that it makes sense for partners in other countries to, to start doing this. But yes, hopefully you'll start to see production of OHO in different countries, which will enable it. Obviously, in terms of cost, we always hope the cost will come down and that's really a matter of scale. So uh, so again, that's something that we will keep an eye on. And, and I think really the way that this can happen is by more and more runners trying it and giving the great positive feedback that we've already seen because it gives race organizers the confidence to to get this product on. As I said, we've always been overwhelmed by the positive feedback that people give us. Um, And I think it's a really wonderful engagement piece uh, for any race that's thinking about doing it. 
Uh, it really gets people excited beforehand. We had people at the first ever, like uh, I think the first ever half marathon we did with Lucas as a test. Um, we actually didn't provide enough units. There was more people than they thought and they ran out and there were people coming it towards the end saying, but I want to try it. I'm so excited. I yeah. read all about it. So um, I think it really does have that wonderful thing. And, you know, the reason we started doing this with sporting events is because runners are just the perfect adopters for this product. Um, what we see is, you know, runners are people who like to be in nature, who like to be healthy. And, and this just having to take plastic bottles, drink it for three seconds, throw it on the ground. You know, that plastic lasts 700 years. You know, it just feels criminal. And what you're doing is trying to do something that is about, about health and about, you know, being in nature. So I think it really fits the, the group of people really well. Yeah. I'm not surprised. I mean, it, again, Regardless of whether this is gonna, you know, regardless of how much this is gonna catch on, it's just, first of all, such a remarkable product, such a great initiative. You guys should be really proud of actually having delivered this to such a big oh. race, such as the London Marathon. And Thanks, and again, like back going back to what you said about the the earlier events you would have been on, I would have I would have entered the race just to try this thing. If it weren't available, like it's, it's such a great experience to be able to say that, you know, I tried out something so innovative as not having to take on a bottle and try this kind of alternative. It's, it's a, yeah. it's a great thing. It's fun. I know. And we, the one thing we often find at races is that, uh, we have to tell the volunteers not to give it out to the public because you'll get people coming up saying, can I try one? Yeah. <laughs> and we're saying that the racers booked this for the for the runners. Please, please give it to them. <laughs> Have you found actually um through your conversations with race directors any any kind of sticking point at all about people perhaps not wanting to try it out for a specific reason? Well, I guess most of the events that contact us are already in a certain mindset. So they're probably less likely to have those kind of questions. For sure, there are a hundred questions that need to be gone through. And especially, it's a new product. It's a new web distribution. It, it, it is quite nerve-wracking. I, I totally understand that. And so I'm very happy to work with events on doing a single water station or two water stations to try it out at the beginning. Um, because, yeah, it, it's totally different. Um, we obviously get a lot of questions, as I said, around the logistics and the ops. And I think that actually is, in some ways, the surprisingly the easiest part of it. We get some questions about handing it out because it is new and people don't know how to take it. And I think the main thing that we try and explain there is that um, sometimes I think people think, oh, this is a bag of water, so it's going to be easier to take than, than a bottle or a cup. So the fast runners will run through and try and just grab it and, and it can smash in the volunteer's hand. And and that that isn't ideal, but we have to remind uh, uh, race organizers that that runner wouldn't take a bottle or a cup either because they'd be going too fast. So I think, you know, in terms of handing it out, think of it like handing out a cup of water. You know, runners will have to slow down a little bit to take on water. That is what they'll have to do. Um, and and it's very, very like, like there. Um, other things to think about, yes, understanding the cleanup. Um, I guess one extra piece to mention is that we operate a circular economy on all of our containers. Mm -hmm. So we ask that the race provider um, packs up and returns to us the containers that came in. So there's no waste, which we then uh, wash and reuse. So I guess that that is one extra piece. 
um, but we provide the return packing label, so it should be relatively simple. Okay. And if a race director wants to get in touch about putting in an order or you know, inquiring further into putting in an order, um, whom do they contact? Well, for sure. Well, anyone can obviously contact me, but the easiest thing is to contact our info at email address. Actually, we're very attentive on that. So it's info at notpla.com, N-O-T-P-L-A. You can also go onto our website. And if you go onto the products page, you can scroll down, you find the OHO sports section and it links directly to a form, which you can fill out straight away with your race details. And that will get sent straight off to to our sports team. Um, so yes, yeah, so either info at or via our website and there's a form on there and, uh, yeah, we look forward to hearing from people. What kind of lead time should people expect if they're ordering, let's say from, you know, the UK or Europe? So we operate on a first come first serve basis in terms of capacity. So obviously if your race is going to take place on the 4th of October, which seems to be the most popular weekend at the moment this year for, for events, um, the sooner you get in touch, the better. We tend to say we ask for, for for the UK and European countries at least a four-week lead time minimum uh, for booking, just in terms of delivery. And, you know, obviously we're still figuring it out with Australia and the US, but I think there we'd need to be looking for like an eight-week to three-month lead time just because the shipping is about eight weeks in itself. Okay. But yeah, so for, for UK races, if your race is as, at least it's uh, three or four weeks away, we may as well get in touch and see if we're still available. And in terms of um, franchisee opportunities, are you guys open to that? Because I, I heard you mention earlier that that's going to be your rollout plan for other countries in the world. Are you interested in people getting in touch and saying, you know, how do I get involved getting a machine or something so I can produce locally for, for events in my country? So if you're interested in getting in touch in that, by all means, email me personally, which is L-I-S-E, uh, Lees at Nopla.com. And, and I'm happy to talk to you. Or also, you can email the info at email address. At this stage, yes, we'll be looking for people who've got manufacturing experience, people who've run a food production site before, perhaps, or people who have maybe done a lot of the operational equipment for races. So someone who makes the uh, T-shirts or the um, the race numbers for sports events, those kind of people um, would be the perfect, perfect okay. um, people. And I think what we're looking at doing is probably not leasing any machines until 2022, but we can start working together in 2021 to, to build up interest. Excellent. And test out the product in new markets. And these machines out of interest, what's, what kind of production rate do they, do they run at right now? How many, how many of these can they turn out? So actually, we have uh, the machine is quite a small machine. Uh, we set it up to be a, a, like a small unit that could go into a smaller kitchen. So a single unit, which isn't too expensive, um, produces around 10,000 units a week if it okay. was running on an eight-hour day, five days a week. So I think that uh, works out to a couple of hundred units an hour. Excellent. Okay. I think that's all from me. It's been, as I expected, extremely interesting. I hope everyone uh, listening in found it interesting. I'd like to thank you very, very much, Lise. I know you're extremely busy and um, you don't uh, do this kind of thing very often. So thank you very much. People have your contact details if they want to get in touch, either to buy product or to discuss uh, becoming a franchisee for you guys. I'll wish you all the best with this false London marathon, I guess. (laughs) And races beyond that. Thank you, Pados. 
It's been great. Thank you very much to everyone listening in and we'll see you in the next episode. I hope you enjoyed this episode on OHO, the edible packaging for aces with NotPlus CFO and COO Liz Honsinger. You can find more resources on anything and everything related to race directing on our website, racedirectorshq.com. You can also share your questions about sustainability, reducing bottle waste or anything else in our Facebook group, Race Directors Hub. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to hit follow on your favorite player for more great content like this. And until our next episode, take care and keep putting on amazing races.